Merry Christmas, everybody. It's wonderful to see you here tonight. If we haven't met before, my name is Austin, and we're just so glad to get to host you on Christmas Eve. Uh, I want to start with uh, it's a question. It's kind of, kind of philosophical, kind of theological, and kind of scientific. Okay, here's the question. Why do you think that the universe is so, so big? This is one of my favorite images. This is from the Webb Space Telescope. We shot it up into the ether a few months ago. And this is a, an image of three galaxies, right? Not three solar systems, not three stars, three galaxies merging in the deep void of space. Now, according to our best current estimates, uh, the observable universe is somewhere around 93 billion light years across. All right, so if you were traveling the speed of light, 186,000 miles an hour, it would take you approximately 93 billion years to get from one edge of it to the other, which in scientific terms means, well, it would take a very long time, almost as long as it might take the Aggies to win another national championship, right? <laughs> That's mean on Christmas Eve, I know. We might need longer. We don't know how long we're going to need for that one. But but anyways, that's just the observable universe, meaning that little piece, that little bubble of the universe that we can see using the tools of modern science. But there's a whole lot more universe out beyond that bubble of what our scientific tools can see. And part of the problem is that the edges of the universe are expanding faster than the speed of light, which means that the edges of the universe are running away from us faster than their light can get back to us. And we kind of need light to see. It's one of the limitations of being a human, which means we'll never be able to see the actual edge of the universe, which means we will never be able to know how big the universe actually is. And so think about this. I don't want anybody to freak out or pass out, okay? We don't have room to get you out of here, but think about this. Every second, the universe is expanding by over 186,000 miles in every direction. When I say every direction, I don't just mean north, south, east, west. I mean 360 degrees, okay? And so check this out. We'll count this out, ready? One Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi. The universe just expanded by half a million miles in every single direction, which is the equivalent of about 70 Earths being added in every single direction every three seconds. Do you ever trip and fall and not know why? (laughs) This is why. So how big is the universe. Well, uh, Sarah Gallagher, she's an astrophysicist at Western University in Ontario. She answered this question probably about as good as it can be answered when in a recent interview she said, and I quote, it's really freaking huge. (laughs) That's the scientific (laughs) description of how big the universe. Kids, don't talk like that. That's how the scientists talk though. And I was I was talking with my boys about this not too long ago. Uh, you know, they're six and eight, old enough to have these existential conversations. And so I asked them, hey, why do you think that God made the universe so, so big? And one of them answered, and he said, well, I think that God made the universe so big because he wanted to show off a little bit, <laughs> you know, a little divine flex. I thought that was a pretty good answer, you know, because if God, the infinite creator of space, in time, the sustainer of all reality, the source of all truth, beauty, and goodness. If that God wants to manifest a little divine swagger in the form of this expansive and always expanding universe of ours, then he's certainly well within his rights to do so. That's a good answer. And the second one answered, and he said, well, I think that God made this universe so big because he wanted us to know that he had lots of room for us. And there's something about that simple little answer that struck me as so profoundly true because y'all think about it. What, what is creation? 
Okay, this world of ours, this universe of ours, this fabric of space and time that we inhabit, what is it all except God making room for us? Because I don't know if you know this, but you and me, you know, we don't deserve to be here. We don't need to be here. Our lives and our very existence is utterly unnecessary, right? Because God, by definition, does not and cannot need anything. It's what it means to be God, which means that God does not and cannot need us, which means, do the math there, carry it over, we do not need to be here. There's no good reason for us to be here. And yet here we are. Why? Well, the best answer I can come up with is because God wanted to make room for us. And this in a lot of different ways, it's the most basic, simple, and important story that the Bible tells, the story of God finding a way to make room for us. And this is a pretty complicated story because as it turns out, um, we're not very good tenants. We're not very good roommates, this room that God has given us. Think about it. God creates Adam and Eve, puts them in this garden called Eden, and he gives them so much room. Y'all, they have so much room. They get to name the animals. They don't have to wear clothes. I'm a big fan of clothes. They don't have to wear clothes. They can eat from every single tree in the garden. Who knows how many trees were in the garden? Thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions, billions, trillions, zillions. Who knows how many trees? They can only not eat of what? One tree. And so what do they do? They eat from the one tree, of course, they eat from the one tree. And so God makes room for Adam and Eve. Then Adam and Eve kick God out of the room because they want to do things their own way. And then what's the first thing that happens once God gets kicked out of the room? Well, Adam and Eve, they kick each other out of the room, right? Start separating from each other, blaming each other, shaming each other. In summary, God makes room for us. We don't make room for God. We don't make room for each other. And increasingly, we inhabit a world where there does not appear, where it doesn't feel like there's any room for us. Because have you ever had that feeling? That feeling that there's just not a place for you? That feeling that as big as this big old universe is, there's, there's not a seat for you in it? Now, I bet you do, because I have this theory. Actually, it's more than a theory. It's a very deep conviction I have that no matter how much you grow up, no matter how mature you like to think yourself, no matter how strong, tough, confident you like to think yourself, imagine yourself down deep inside every single one of us, there is this insecure, pimple-faced teenager standing alone in a middle school cafeteria, anxiously scanning the room, for a seat. Does this give you middle school PTSD? I'm telling you, I've seen a lot of tough people, a lot of tough people, but I'm telling you, down deep inside, you get them talking a little bit, they're just standing there with that little tray hoping somebody's got a seat for them, man. And of all the details in Luke's version of the birth of Jesus, the one that always jumps out to me is the sparse little description we get of the circumstances of Jesus' birth in verse 7. We'll read it again. And when she, Mary, gave birth to her firstborn son, Jesus, and she wrapped him in cloths and she laid him in a manger because there wasn't any room for them in the inn. Now, if you are unfamiliar with ancient Near Eastern architecture, and you could be forgiven for not being, um, this is a picture of what the house that Jesus was born in probably looked like. Standard ancient Near Eastern homes. You see, it's two stories. The top story was the upper room. It was the guest room. So when guests came over, they got the upper room, a little privacy. 
And then the bottom floor was comprised by two rooms that were open to each other. The first one was this big open living room, and then the second one was a stable filled with animals. And then separating the two rooms was a low, maybe two-foot-high wall. That was the feeding trough. So you literally just poured the food in, animals just stuck their head in, and they ate dinner with you, right? And so when we read that Mary and Joseph laid Jesus in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn, What this probably means is that Mary and Joseph have come to Bethlehem for this census, but there aren't any guest rooms, right? They're all filled because everybody's in Bethlehem for the census. And so then Mary has to stay in and give birth in either this first floor open living room filled with people or the adjacent stable filled with animals. Now, I know that some of you are a bit more, we'll call it organic, and your medical sensibilities. And maybe the idea of this at-home birth experience sounds very romantic and rustic to you. But have you ever seen a baby born? I've seen three babies born, and I gotta tell you, the thought of a baby being born in a crowded living room on Christmas Day does not sound very rustic or romantic to me. It sounds terrible. Can all the ladies can I get an amen? Doesn't sound like a good time. In fact, y'all, we managed to get our hands on some very rare footage of a first century birth, just so you get a feel for what it was probably like when Jesus was born. We'll, we'll check this old footage out here. Oh! One, two, three. Don't go in there. Promise me you don't go in there. I'm sure it was exactly like that. And so Mary, she gives birth either in this living room filled with people or in a stable filled with animals. And then she places Jesus in a manger, which means she places Jesus in one of the feeding troughs right there for the animals. And so why does this happen? Why is the Son of God placed in a feeding trough for a cradle? Well, what the text says is this happens because... There was no room for him, right? That Jesus came to us and we did not receive him. We did not welcome him. We did not and we could not be bothered to make room for him. I tend to think that John, the the writer of the Gospel of John, uh, had this in mind when he says in John 1, 9 through 11, now there is the true light, that's Jesus, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him, but the world did not know him. He came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. And of course, this is not just something that happened once upon a time on Christmas Day. No, y'all, this happens all the time, all day, every day. God comes to us and we do not welcome him. We do not receive him. We do not and we cannot be bothered to make room for him. Now, maybe at this, this point you think, well, Austin, this is a little presumptuous, man. You don't know me. You've never met me. You, you don't know what I got going on in my life. You don't know that God is, you know, coming to me and I'm refusing to make room for him. You don't know me. And that's fair. I don't know you. I do know a lot of you. But a lot of you I don't know. But I do know that you're a human. Yeah? Have I read the room correctly? I think so. And I know that if the Bible is to be believed, and I, I tend to think that it should be, that we humans, even the best of us, we constantly refuse to receive and welcome the very God who has so graciously made room for us. And I'm sure you had your reasons. I got my reasons too, man, whatever. Maybe it's because you're busy 
or you were anxious, or you were indifferent, or you were skeptical, or you were traumatized, or you were tired, or whatever. The list is very long. But as 2022 draws to a close, you and I need to have the integrity, the honesty to look back on it and say, you know what? 2022 was a year, basically like every other year of our lives, where we more or less failed to make room for the very God who has so graciously made room for us. And that's heavy. I know that's heavy. That's what the egg dunks for later, okay? It, it is heavy. I get it. But y'all, it is a serious situation that we find ourselves in. It is. And so it doesn't do us any good to pretend like it's all good or to pretend like you're not responsible for it because you know what? Yes, you are responsible for it. And yes, I am. Yes, this world is what it is because we have refused to welcome the very God who so graciously made room for us. And it's right here where our situation is at its darkest, its bleakest, because we see it for what it really is. That the hope, the wonder, the joy of Christmas, by breaks through, right? Because in Jesus the Messiah, right, we refuse to make room for God, but then rather than rejecting us because we rejected him, God decides what? God decides that he would double down. God decided that he would go all in. God decided that he would make room even for those people who had not made room for him because in the remarkable events of the very first Christmas, the son of God becomes fully man and he takes full responsibility for us. He takes responsibility for our apathy, our meanness, our skepticism, our pettiness, our selfishness, you name it. He takes full responsibility for all of it. He receives our rejection of him with acceptance, and then ultimately he overcomes our rejection of him with his acceptance of us, right? And that's because the good news of Christmas, the good news of the gospel... It's not that God will make room for you if you'll make room for God, because that wouldn't be very good news, because as we have already established, we're not very good at making room for God. No, the good news of Christmas is that God has taken the situation fully into his hands and out of our hands. The good news of Christmas is that God is unconditionally committed to being with us. Or as a theologian, Karl Barth once said it so well. I love Karl Barth. He said, to put it in the simplest way, what unites God and us is that he does not will to be God without us. Right? God, the infinite creator of space and time who does not and cannot need anything, does not want to be God without you. <laughs> and so time and time again, God finds a way to make room for us, for all of us. And that brings us to one last detail in the story. Let's read verse 14 again. It's the angels singing. They say, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men and women with whom he is pleased. Now, you notice here that we're told that God pours out his peace on who? The quote is literally among men with whom he is pleased. And if we weren't thinking carefully, we might be left with the impression that God conditionally pours out his peace on people if they can manage to please God. And that's an awesome mistake to make because this is how things tend to work with we human beings, isn't it? Everything's very conditional, and we learn this at a very young age. For example, my, my daughter, she's not three yet. She doesn't really even like me. She just tolerates me. But she has learned that if she wants to get a lollipop, that's her candy of choice at this moment, all she has to do is come sit in my lap, give me a little peck on the cheek, and say, Daddy, can I have sucker? And dads, what do you do? You just give them the credit card and say, here it is, the 401k, all of it, right? You might want to sit on it. You'll get more suckers later out of it, but whatever. You can have it right now, right? And this is how things work with us humans, right? And everything's very conditional, but it's not so with God because here's the deal. God is not just pleased with people who can manage to please him. 
But rather, God is pleased with people, with all people, even you, even the person sitting beside you, even me. And that's kind of a wild thing to say, right? God's pleased with all people because people can suck. All people? All people? How could that be true? Well, here's how it's true. You see, God is pleased with all people because God is pleased with Jesus. And Jesus was pleased to become one of us, to take our situation fully upon his shoulders. Or as the angels told the shepherds, right, on that first Christmas Eve, remember what they told them in verse 10? Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for who? For all the people. Now notice, this good news is not just for some people, is it? It's not just for good people. It's not just for righteous people. It's not just for people who know how to get it together, people who know how to suffocate their kids into submission during a Christmas Eve service, right? No. This good news is for who? It is for everybody. And so if you're here tonight, man, and 2022 has been a train wreck because you were tired or confused or like whatever, right? You just could not get it together. If that is you, then this good news is for you. And if you are here tonight and your life is a dumpster fire, right? We can all see the smoke coming up off of it. Because you know what? You failed. Let's call it what it is. You failed. You failed as a husband. You failed as a father. You failed as a spouse, as a brother, as a neighbor, as a peer, as a coworker, as a friend, whatever. Then this good news is for you. If you're here tonight, you're like, man, I don't even know if I believe in God. I was promised Christmas lights. I do not know how I ended up here, right? If that's you and you don't know how to pray, you don't know how to get yourself to want to go to church, you don't even know if you believe in God, this good news is for you because this good news is not just for you if you're good. This good news is for you because a gracious and good God wanted to make room for you. Because a gracious and good God wanted to be your God, didn't want to be God without you. And that brings us back to our very, very, very important question. Why is the universe so Big, 93 billion light years across and counting. There are a lot of answers we could give, but I tend to think that, that my little boy was right. Don't tell him that I said that. I tend to think that he's right. And all this is, it's a message. But it's not a message written in letters. Those get very boring. We get a lot of those. Rather, this is a message written in stars, supernovas, solar systems. It's a eternal witness written out in comets and cosmic dust. It is a reminder of a faithfulness that is as wide as these infinite heavens of ours. And the message written up there in all of this is very, very, very simple. In the birth of Jesus the Messiah, the maker of all this has also gladly made room for you and for me and for everybody, because God doesn't want to be God without you. Amen? Amen? Let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you for tonight, this very sacred and holy moment where we see our situation for what it really is, and a lot of the time we don't. God, where we see how out of our control and dark and serious this situation is. And we should never lose sight of that. 
And yet, instead of rejecting us because we rejected you, instead of pushing us away because we could not be bothered, because we cannot be bothered to make room for you, you did not reject us, God. Rather, you went all in. You received even our rejection with acceptance in order to make a room for us, for every last one of us. And so I pray for everybody in this room tonight, God, the very, very young, the very, very old, and everyone in between, because you have made room for every last one of us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.